Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Good morning. That wonderful report from Azerbaijan, the word we can't say, <coughs> uh, reminded me 20 years ago when I left the day after Christmas and went to um, Belarus. You go to Moscow and come back west 300 miles and you find yourself in Minsk. The third part of the country is uninhabitable because of the Chernobyl nuclear reactor. And I found myself preaching there to uh, pastors on marriage and the family for two weeks. I remember when I got there and found that my room was unheated and didn't have a mattress, uh, I thought, Lord, how long did I promise to stay here? <laughs> it was cold, uh, 10 degrees, snow on the ground. Um, the people were so poor, they had um, had a quarrel among themselves because some of the pastors who had come to this morning conference were materialistic. They had bicycles and could ride to the meeting while others had to walk. It was an amazing two weeks. In the evening, I taught the uh, students from the universities on sexual purity in an X-rated world. But uh, there they celebrate Christmas, January the 6th. I didn't know that when I went. And they opened up a truckload of those Good Samaritan uh, boxes. And the children just poured into the uh, meeting house there. And they gave away at least several hundred. And one of the elders told me the people had never received a gift before. They're so poor. I've gotten pictures of them still wearing the toboggan hats that were given to them 20 years ago. Uh, that's a wonderful ministry, and it really does a lot of good around the world, and I salute you for taking the time to make that. With the Advent candle, a prophecy lighted today. We're reminded that time is short. The candle will burn shorter and shorter, reminding us that Christ is coming soon. And the Old Testament lesson that's often paired with the first Sunday in Advent in the lectionary is Psalm 1. It's a psalm about God's grace for his people, but his judgment for those who persist in their sins. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Not so for the wicked. They are like the chaff which the wind bloweth away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us pray together. Lord, we ask that you 
open this passage and show us what it means in our life, that you fill us with the hope that Christmas pretends, and that you give us lips, Lord, to proclaim the good news of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It always is an interest to me that the word Bible is not found in the Bible. It's written on the cover. And, and it's not an especially inspired word of God, the word Bible. It actually is a Latin word that means library. After all, the Bible is not a book, but a collection of books. And there are different types of books in that collection. There's history, biography, theology, letters, gospel. There's music, prophecy, law. There's even poetry. Now, really, the Bible was written, over half of it, in poetry. And people in America don't like poetry. It's the least selling form of literature. No human being in the United States has made a living being a poet since probably Robert Frost. If you want to be poor, be a poet. <laughs> but yet half the Bible is written in poetry. Do you know which book of the Old Testament is the most often quoted in the New Testament by the apostles, by Christ? The book of Psalms, the poetry of the Bible. What did Jonah quote when he found himself in the heart of the sea, in the belly of the great fish? He spoke poetry. And what was on Christ's mind when he was dying on the cross? He spoke a poem to the Lord. But today, who reads poetry? Actually, there, there are two reasons I think we don't read it. One is we don't like the syrupy greeting card type of poetry that rhymes. It's just like drinking poor sugar. Or we don't like the difficult poetry that you read it 20 times and you still don't know what the poet's talking about. Uh, for instance, T.S. Eliot's poems, The Wasteland, or the love song of Alfred J. Prufrock. If you've ever worked through that in college, you think, no poetry for me. But fine words can nourish us and excite us. Let me give you an example of a poem that you could read once and probably disdain it. But if you do a little background work, you'll come to understand it and, and you'll like it. I share this a lot with um, students on the campus. In Ireland, when people want to ask, should I do this and should I not do that, they'll often pitch a penny. And if the penny lands nearest to the wall of other coins you toss, that penny tells you what you ought to do. And so here's a teenager looking at a beautiful girl thinking, I would like to know her, maybe fall in love with somebody like that. But a little voice tells him, no, you're too young. And here's a poem called Brown Penny. I whispered to myself, you're too young. And then I said to myself, ah, I'm old enough. And so I threw a penny to ask if I might love. Go in love, young man. Go in love, especially if the lady is young and fair. Oh, Penny. Brown penny, brown penny, I'm looped in the loops of her hair. 
Ah loves the crooked thing, and there is no man wise enough to know all that is in it, for he would still be thinking about love after the stars had run away and the shadows eaten the moon. Oh penny, brown penny, brown penny, one cannot begin it too soon. Isn't that a wonderful poem about growing up as a teenager and, and finding love, being afraid of it, and yet that apprehension is filled with longing. The definition of poem that I like is this. A poem is the completest utterance. It's words in their most concentrated form. In the Hebrew, the word psalm can mean poem, and it translates literally twangings upon the strings or musings upon the strings. And the book of poetry in the Bible, the purest book of poetry, the Psalms, has 150 poems in it. Years ago, I began to read them and realize I love these poems, but I have no clue what they mean. So I began to take some time and live in these poems and try to find the meaning of it. Psalm 1, the introduction to the book of Psalms, begins with a very important word, blessed or blessed. And really, in the introduction of the Psalms, it's saying there are only two types of people in the world. There are those who are blessed by God and those who are not blessed by God. Now, the word bless in Hebrew has a word picture behind it. It means to kneel like a camel so that you can be loaded and carry the goods as the ship of the desert across the plains and carry the goods or the blessings to other people. Camels, if you've ever ridden one, are very tall creatures. It would be impossible for a guy like me to climb up on one. So they kneel down like an elevator, and then you, you get on him, or you fill his saddlebags with jewels or dates or, or money that you owe a bank in the next city, and then the creature stands up. And because he is a camel, he's the ship of the desert. They can travel for days without drinking water. So goods and services, the dainty things of life, the necessities of life, travel through the deserts of the Fertile Crescent on the back of camels. And so Jews said, let me tell you what it is to be blessed. It's when you kneel down before Christ and he loads you with wonderful marvels, truth, justice, insight, the riches of poetry, and you carry that out, not to spend it on yourself, but to share it with the rest of the world across the trackless wastes of the deserts. Listen to Psalm 68, but you have to read it in the King James translation to catch this. Blessed is the Lord who daily loads us with every benefit. Isn't that wonderful? Many of the benefits of being a Christian are invisible, they're intangibles. It's not like money, gold or silver, but it's truth. It's wisdom. It's knowledge. It's fellowship. It's mercy. It's love. It's kindness. And God loads us with these things that we can carry it out to others. So there are two sorts of people in the world, the blessed and the not blessed. The blessed are those who live their life with reference to trust in God and Christ. And the not so blessed 
are those who live life without any reference point of faith to God, and therefore they're not blessed. Now let's look at each of those two types of people as presented in Psalm 1. First of all, the unblessed are called the ungodly. They walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In the Hebrew, the word ungodly means noisy. They walk among the noise of the world, the elevator music, the news, the radio, the political speeches, the roar of the crowd, opinion, and they stand in the way of sinners. Uh, I'm reminded when I see a political leader pandering for votes, and he stands among sinful people who are clearly doing things the Bible forbids, and they stand with him in solidarity saying, I salute your freedom of speech and your freedom of choice, and I want your vote, and it makes my heart sick. And then finally, they are seated in the seat of scoffers. Uh, I'm a university minister in the eastern part of the United States, mostly, and I see the scoffing against Christ and Christians that goes on on the typical campus we really are living in the post-Christian Western world today. People mock the Bible and they mock those who preach. I want you to notice something in the poem that it's easy to overlook. First of all, this ungodly person walks in the noise of the world. And he gets so comfortable in this walk, he stops walking and he stands with sinners. And finally, he's so comfortable in the world, he's seated and he just scoffs at the things of God. He gets comfortable in the world, comforting himself with the things that don't come from Christ. I was preaching a number of years ago in central Virginia, um, a, a preaching week. They called it a revival, and I said, please don't call it that. We hope it'll be a revival. Let's call it a preaching mission. And if it turns into a revival, won't we all be happy? But let's not call it one till we see what God allows to happen here. So I was doing this preaching mission Sunday through Thursday, and this woman wanted to get up with me to talk. Well, they had me scheduled pretty tightly, and I said, well, I can meet you at 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. Uh, we can have a cup of tea, and you can tell me what you want to discuss, and we can do that for an hour. And she said, oh, that, that won't work for me. And I said, well, let me look at my schedule again. And I gave her another morning at 11 o'clock. No, I, I can't do that then. And I said, well, what problem you have seems to be serious, and I'm willing to meet with you, but we're going to have to find some sort of compromise because we can't find something that works for you and for me. And I said, what's so important that you can't skip it and come on out and talk about the things of the Lord? And she said, if you must know, I have a problem in my marriage. And as the world turns on TV, is televised at that time. And I keep watching that, thinking that the lady who has the same problem I have, that she's going to solve her problem. And in doing that on TV, it's going to teach me how to solve my problem. So I can't miss it. And there you have somebody walking in the noise of the world, getting ready to sit down, getting ready to get quite comfortable. The result of this comfortable lifestyle is that we become like chaff which the wind 
driveth away. Uh, my grandson is here with me today from North Carolina State. I think he's got something he's celebrating that the Wolfpack uh, actually ate a ram on the, the gridiron, but he's in the uh, agricultural business school there. And uh, you, you have to be a state graduate to know what winnowing is. Wheat is a kernel that comes to maturity, and it has a husk around it. And you can't eat it with the husk. That would be non-nutritious. It wouldn't taste very good. So they take their wheat and they lay it on a hot rock at the top of a hill in the sun and let it bake there. And the cusp pops open, and you've got the husk mixed with the kernels of wheat. So along comes a guy on a day when there's a good wind, and he has a winnowing fork, not unlike a rake, and he picks this wheat up and he throws it up in the air, and the wind blows the dust away, and it blows the husky shell away, but the heavier kernel of wheat drops back to the ground. And it can take several hours to, to maybe winnow 20 pounds of, of wheat, but that's how you purify it, so it becomes edible. And what the Bible is saying is that our lives can become like winnowed wheat. There's no real kernel of life in us. We're just dry husk. And the wind drives us away in the judgment of the Lord as he winnows us. You may remember the Civil War song. Uh, he is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. And it talks about winnowing the people of America under the judgment of God and the wind of the Spirit. I saw this literally in a public broadcasting station, a biographical study of Ernest Hemingway. Did any of you see that in the past two years? He was one of the best writers in America, I think, but a godless man, godless marriages, uh, no hope, just a, a celebrity, self-taught, made a fortune and spit it away so many times. But he ends up depressed on his fourth or fifth marriage, alone, and he takes a shotgun one morning right before daybreak and blows his head off. You've seen the same thing with the Beatles. You remember those fresh-faced people, the Fab Four? And they turn away from Christ. In fact, they say they're even more popular than Christ. And then one of them is murdered, another dies of cancer, there's divorce, uh, the group falls apart. Many of them have lived rather empty lives. And this is a picture of what it is when our lives become like the rock star song, we're just dust in the wind. That's all we are, it's just dust in the wind. It's the dissolution or the disintegration of the human personality without the unction of the Holy Spirit and Christ the Savior within us. Well, thank God there's a positive side of this poem. So let's move on and look at the godly man and woman. This person walks in the counsel of the godly. Uh, walk in the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit is a command of Scripture. We're to walk in the things of Christ and His Word. We stand with the righteous. We have a testimony. We're not ashamed of it. And we sit with the believers in places of worship like this, 
rather than scoff, were filled with thanksgiving, with praise, with the awe of who God is. Then the text goes on to say, his delight is in the law of the Lord. The proverb says that this righteous person seeks the word of God like silver and hungers for it like some people do gold. The Bible is not an easy book. It's demanding of the reader. As Martin Luther used to say, you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. But to understand the Bible, it takes a lot of hard work. Just like there's gold in the vein of a hill nearby, you don't just go scoop the gold up off the ground. You've got to mine it. You've got to crush the stone and separate the silver uh, to separate the gold from the cheap stone and find the preciousness there. And it takes years of Bible study and fellowship to do that. The text goes on to say, On his law doth he meditate day and night. Now here's another word picture in the Hebrew in this poem. The word meditation has the word picture of a cow chewing his cud. Most people bite into a corn cob, chew it around in the mouth, you swallow it, it goes into your stomach, it nurtures you, it goes into your intestines, and it nurtures you. But animals that chew the cud sometimes digest something by eating it, swallowing it, regurgitating it, chewing it, and mixing it again with digestive juices, and repeating that multiple times. Now, I can't stand here as a liberal arts major and tell you how a black cow eats green grass that makes white milk, that turns into yellow butter. But the cow chews his cud and so thoroughly digests this grass that it becomes a milk product, very tasty indeed. And the Bible is saying, on the law of God, on the word of God, on the Bible, we chew the cud. We're constantly chewing on the meaning of a Bible verse. All of us have them, you know what I mean. And we swallow it, and maybe we don't think about it for a while, but it comes back to us. And with a new insight from a different perspective, we see it. And we begin to affirm it more deeply in our lives. This is what Colossians 3.16 says, that the word of God dwell in you richly. We don't just swallow the word, we digest it. It becomes a part of our very fiber. And then the poem goes on to say, on his law doth he meditate day and night. This is not a faith that you put on and take off with your Sunday coat. This is 24-7 faith that you never take off. We were studying with some students Paul's admonition to take on the whole armor of Christ. And one of the students asked a question. He said, why don't we just put it on and never take it off? Why do you have to put it on every day? That's a good question, isn't it? And that's what the psalmist is saying here. He lives in the spirit of God, chewing the cud of the word of God, 24-7, night and day. Now there's a powerful result to living like this. He shall be like a tree planted by living water. And his leaf shall not wither. You see, it's an evergreen tree. It's planted near the source of a spring or water. This, This tree doesn't change. It doesn't go through up and down cycles. But his leaf 
does not wither. And it says he bears fruit in its season. If you read the book of Revelation, there's an interesting discussion of trees there. There's the throne of God with Jesus sitting on it. And underneath the throne is the river of living water that flows out from the throne to the world. And on the right hand and left hand side of this river of life are 12 different type of trees that grow. They never wither. Each one bears a different fruit in its season. And it says, and the leaves of these trees are for the healing of the nations. Stop and think about that. If we become like evergreen trees, we're not up and down, on again, off again, but we're consistent people, dependable people. I remember a, a lady that fell away from the gospel for about 20 years in the church in Burlington. And she came back to the Lord, moved back to Burlington from Atlanta, and she came to our Wednesday night prayer service. And she said, I knew I would find you here. You people are consistent. And that's what I want in my life, and that's what I failed to have. But you're consistent. She knew we were evergreen. Now look at the idea that leaves can fly from our lives and be a blessing to others. Something you wrote, an encouraging note, a poem that you wrote, a hymn that you wrote, a letter giving information. The leaves that fall from our lives are like good news of encouragement to other people. Now, that is a beautiful picture as you'll find in Scripture. I think, in the entirety of the Bible. I've been rereading that last part, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, with real chewing of the cud fervor these last few years. My wife has cancer. Uh, it's incurable. It's, um, um, I can't remember the name. I'm a liberal arts major. I can't remember all the, the doctor's terms. Let's put it this way. I know the way to the drugstore I know the way that you are, and I know how to say, will there be anything else, dear? <laughs> but anyhow, she has this terrible cancer, and one of the things that we are learning is not to waste your cancer. The grandchildren are watching her faith. Her letters that she sends mean more to people than ever before. The times that she feels well enough for me to take her out to dinner uh, mean a lot to me. The silver hair that she had went bald. That was one of the hardest things to see her like that. I felt like um, this thug had broken into my house and attacked my wife, and I couldn't defend her. But now her hair is beginning to grow back, and it's curly. And it's not white like it used to be. It's a different tone of gray, and it's curly. And I'm thinking, I can't take you out. People will think you've died, and I'm with another woman already. <laughs> this has not been a fun year in the Crotz household. Uh, Catherine said the other day, you know, COVID was pretty miserable. I feel like I forfeit two years of my life, and now I'm forfeiting more of it. And I said, I know what you mean. But we're trying not to waste our cancer. One of the most interesting things about our household the past year is it's filled with thanksgiving. That's not something we put there or plan to put there. We are humans. We've cried. We've been angry. We felt hopeless, helpless, 
We felt the loving nurture of God's people. People have brought meals to us. Um, the times we have with each other have brought more depth of love than we ever knew. This is coming up in June, our 50th wedding anniversary. My wife said the other day she didn't know till death do us part was going to take so long. <laughs> and I said, well, 50th anniversary, it only seems like 50 seconds to me underwater. <laughs> but the, the Thanksgiving, the hope, uh, the laughter, the, the simple touch, one more day together, it's just been the most remarkable year of our life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't want to go back and do it again. And I'm really praying the Lord will heal her. But I think that's the depth of this poem. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The text ends by saying that the righteous person will stand in the judgment. Our lives aren't swept away like dust in the wind. <coughs> but with the wicked, it's different. The way of the wicked shall perish. They won't stand in the judgment. They're blown away. The Beatles wrote a song back in the early 70s called Nowhere Man. Do you remember the tune? He's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view. Doesn't know where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Nowhere man. I'm told the Beatles wrote that song derisively as a protest song against Lyndon Baines Johnson, our president, and his policies in Vietnam. But don't you know some people today who are nowhere people? Don't have a point of view? Dust in the wind? Think of the good news that we can share by being the people of God and by letting those leaves fall from our lives to nurture and encourage them with the gospel. What you're going to see as you continue to read through the Psalms is this. There are two types of people. Those who live in trust of God. Those who live without it. And you're going to see in the vicissitudes of life, the twists and turns and the ups and downs, you're going to see nowhere people and somewhere people living through cancer, through death, outliving their youth, living the old age, living in times of political upheaval. It's a picture, a poem book, of what people look like when they live with Christ or when they live without him. And there's a wonderful series of lessons that come in those 150 psalms. Let's pray together. Lord, your word has touched our hearts. We open ourselves to you in mind and body and spirit. Have mercy on us, Lord. Come into our lives in the merits of Christ. Forgive our sins. Fill us with your spirit. Let us begin to chew the cut of your word and to be careful how we walk and stand and sit and with whom to let your word and Christ be central in our life. Make us one of those trees of refreshment that others can gather under for its fruit and its shade. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.